As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Here goes Caicedo. Clean pair of heels for Kim. Caicedo still going. I'm Michelle Owen and this is the Athletics Women's Football Podcast World Cup Edition. Today we'll be looking back on day six of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Norway made big changes to their starting eleven against Switzerland to little effect. The Philippines caused a shock, recording their first ever World Cup win against hosts New Zealand. And Colombia and the Republic of Korea entered the tournament with the South American side taking all three points. Joining me today are the Athletics Mark Kerry and Chloe Morgan. Hello both. Hiya. Hello. And we'll also be hearing from Harriet Drudge and Jacob Whitehead later in the show. First up then, New Zealand against the Philippines. After their euphoric win over Norway in the opening game of the World Cup, New Zealand faced the Philippines, looking to all but secure their place in the knockouts. But the side 20 places below the Black Ferns in the FIFA World Rankings had other ideas. It proves to be an historic moment. The Philippines become the first debutant country at the 2023 Women's World Cup to register a victory, their first on the global stage. So history made for the Philippines and a World Cup debutant has some points on the board. Uh, now, even before New Zealand's win over Norway um, and the raised expectations it bore, Chloe, this would have been a shock result, right? Absolutely. I think no one was expecting this. And I think that's maybe come off the back of New Zealand's first game. It seems like it's gone so quickly, but I remember sort of sitting in Brisbane with uh, with Jacob Whitehead and we were watching the game and, you know, New Zealand weren't the favourites really with, with that game. But the way that they sort of come out and it was off the back of obviously what had happened in the morning uh, in New Zealand with, with the shootings and there was a sort of a, a bit of a sombre mood and 
the New Zealand players, you know, they wanted to sort of build expectations. It's obviously it went there, you know, they're in their host country um, in front of a home crowd. And um, yeah, they were just lacking. They, they were just, there was just so much confidence in that first game. But this second game was completely different. It was quite evenly matched at the start, but the Philippines put in an absolute show. And I think once that Philippines goal had taken place, New Zealand, I think there was a lot of panic that set in and they didn't really know how to respond to it. So Yeah, but a great result for the Philippines. Obviously, this is their first entry into the World Cup. So yeah, it's probably been um, one of the biggest shock results of the tournament so far. It was a different test for New Zealand in this game. Uh, Going against favourites, they had to break the Philippines down. How did they adapt or not adapt as it was, Mark? Yeah, I mean, we we spoke about it after the the first set of games, you know, when I was last on this podcast, that styles make fights. And I guess you have to adapt to the opponent to, to get a result. And New Zealand went from being the the underdogs to to the favourites, and it did require them to to have a different style. And I guess they still dominated the play, and we can come on to the the numbers that are behind that. I think anyone who watched the game would say that they they dominated the play in general. But the, the Philippines' goal did come against the run of play. All of the statistics show that as well. But in inter- international tournaments in general, there's there's so much to be said about deserving to win and actually not necessarily needing to be the case it's all about just getting a a result and the remit especially in the group stage is just progressing through to to the next stage so even if you do dominate the play if you don't score a goal then you're not going to obviously win a game so um I think there was there was a golden opportunity for them to to progress for all the reasons that that Chloe said after the the first game but um you know, now they've still got another game to do. It just would have been nice for them to to do it with a, a game to spare. But um, I thought it was it was interesting to see the the contrast in this game. They targeted the the left hand side of the field far more. There was forty four percent of their their attacking touches were down the the left channel. If you were to split the the uh, the attacking half into three, which was far more geared towards the left hand side than, than the first game where we spoke about it being, especially in the first half, more towards the right hand side. They did play rather well. There were some really good opportunities. Um, I'm sure we'll speak about the the goal that was ruled out, fairly or unfairly, which we can come on to. But yeah, they they had to adapt and just didn't get over the line. Yeah, you agree with that assessment, Chloe? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, um, you know, I sort of had a look at the stats myself because I couldn't quite work out sort of where New Zealand had fallen flat. And it wasn't in possession. I mean, they had 69% of the possession. They did have 16 shots and four on target. So to not convert any of those chances, when you look at someone like the Philippines, you had four shots on tar- uh, four shots in total, one shot on target, and that was their first shot on target of the tournament. So, I mean, when you look at the Philippines, you could actually think that they are sort of one of the most clinical teams in the World Cup so far. Um, and yeah, I think they, they deserve the result. I mean, they, they ground it out. They obviously... You know, with them scoring in the 24th minute, they had they had a very long time to make sure that they kept that result, and they did. And they needed to, you know, defend resolutely. They did that. They needed to emergency defend. They did that. Um, and they frustrated New Zealand right to the very end. And and yes, whilst maybe there's a controversial um, sort of offline, oh sorry, offside call there, they um they did the absolute best they could. So credit to them. The Philippines goal, uh, Chloe. Is that just a difficult place for a header to come at you? Or will Victoria Asselin be kicking herself for that? Because it's like she almost got there, but reacted just almost a second too late. 
I think every single goalkeeper always has a look back over goals like that and they always think, okay, well, what could I have done better? And um, I think in that situation, while she did manage to get a hand to it, the, the, the distance between herself and the ball when it was obviously struck by, by her head was so short. I mean, you're talking sort of milliseconds, absolute milliseconds of time to react to that. And so she did quite well to get anything on it at all. But I think she'll be frustrated that maybe she didn't have a strong enough hand to kind of keep the ball out because she did get a fairly good kind of pour to it but it just wasn't enough I think the pace of it just took it almost took her back into the net with it so um yeah I think it'd be it'd be harsh for her to look back and think she could have done better because she just didn't have enough time to react so I'm hoping she's not kicking herself tonight I mean on the note of the goal as well I think we've spoken before on this podcast about the importance of set pieces especially when you're playing as the underdogs and making the most of set pieces when you can and I think again we spoke about it whether it's first phase or second phase and I thought the Philippines did really well to to keep the ball alive after the initial free kick and, and play the ball into an area so I always like to give credit to to the attacking team there as well to say that they kept the ball alive really really well and it was a great ball played through to um, or across for, for Bolden to finish it was a really dangerous ball in the six yard box and as she attacked it as you say Chloe there's such little sort of reaction time um, for the goalkeeper so credit to the Philippines as well for making the most of the, the few chances they had especially from, from set pieces which is key there are a few challenges from the likes of Olivia Chance and Ali Riley. Uh, the one from Chance on goalkeeper, Olivia McDonald too. Uh, was the pressure, do you think, getting to New Zealand a little bit, Chloe? Yeah, I think um, I think because they were so buoyed by that first result, I think they went into this game thinking, okay, well, the Philippines are, you know, the the weakest opposition really in in this group. This is our time to really sort of consolidate and compound on the success of the first game uh, and all the the ride, the wave that came on it. I mean, you saw, you know, from Ali Ali Riley's um, interview post match, um, you know, how much it meant to her and the squad and how positive they felt and that they wanted to inspire all this change in the country. So. I think there was this expectation that they were just going to build on that. So I think once they went behind in the 24th minute, I think they didn't really know how to react because that just wasn't what they'd expected at all. So maybe a, a touch of complacency there from the New Zealand side. But I mean, they did do, I mean, they threw the kitchen sink at trying to get back into the game. And I think they were very unlucky not to get that equaliser, which which could have potentially have changed things, maybe getting a quick second after that if they'd have had that one ruled on them. But it's all about managing different start, you know, managing different challenges that you come across in, in World Cup. Sometimes you're up in the first minute and you've got to, you know, maintain that lead. Sometimes you go down and you need to find that equaliser. Sometimes you go really down and you need to find multiple goals. But, you know, for New Zealand, it, it's not, it, they are still learning. I know they've been a part of the sort of World Cup set up for a while, but they are still learning how to adapt in those situations. So this will be a learning curve for them. And they're not ruled out. They've still got, you know, a lot to play for. So this result by no means means that their, their sort of World Cup run is, is over. Yeah, Jackie Hand had what we thought then was that New Zealand equaliser, a shoulder whip. This was so tight. Saw it ruled out. It's technically correct, Mark, but I don't know. I mean, I used to be a striker, not very good, but it just feels that those sort of decisions are are really harsh. Almost doesn't feel feel right. But you know, there's going to be a new offside rule from next season, isn't there? Where the whole body. The Arsene Wenger rule uh, is going to come in. But I, I feel like we'll still be debating then about inches because that'll be how far on, how far off were they. But what were your thoughts and what are your thoughts on when goals are ruled out like that? Yeah, I mean, as fans, we want to see as many goals as possible. And I think it, it, I completely agree. It's It felt cruel that it was by the tightest of margins. I always, to your point as well, I always find this difficult because at some point you have to quite literally draw the line and you either have to be onside or offside. So 
you can't have too much you know gray area there i thought it was it was cruel i mean i watched it back a couple of times to to just see how tight it was i think what made it more cruel is often the case is that when the play carries on if it was you know just offside shoot and then you can maybe come back to to bring it back for a free kick but the obviously the game carried on wilkinson got to the byline crossed over for hand to score and it was kind of quite a few seconds after that it almost felt like oh this is a legitimate goal because it would have maybe been called offside by now and obviously then they celebrated and um and then it was eventually kind of pulled back so i think that that was sort of compounded the cruelty was compounded that not only was it offside but they they thought that they'd uh, they'd equalize and got back into the game but so i guess to, to answer your question yes i'd be the same i'd want to see more goals um as many goals as possible but I guess devil's advocate would be that if it's consistent and it's the same for both sides, then, you know, if it goes for you as the, the defending team, the Philippines in this case, um, then you'd be quite pleased. So you'd hope that these things do even themselves out. But in tournament football, that's not necessarily the case because there's so few games to play. So, um, yeah, unlucky for New Zealand, but hopefully we'll see whether in the next game whether it will be the deciding factor because they've still got so much to play for as Chloe said. As we've mentioned New Zealand had loads of the ball didn't really threaten though did they? Uh, would that be a concern going forward and did that sort of from what you've seen the chances and the territory they had did that sort of bear out in the stats? Yeah I think the numbers are always quite deceiving quite tricky in this regard because as we said you know I think 24-25 minutes that the Philippines scored so New Zealand were behind for about two-thirds of the game so they had no choice but to, to put the pressure on so they I mean, they had a lot of the ball before the the goal was scored before anyway. But you look at the numbers and their share of possession that Chloe mentioned before, that was the seventh highest among all teams to have played so far in this tournament. Um, You know, things like territorial dominance, spoke about it last time I was on this podcast. That's, you know, looking at a thing called field tilt, a a metric which looks at the share of possession when only considering the touches in in each team's respective attacking third. Um, And for New Zealand, that 69% was also in the, the top 10 among all teams in the tournament so far. So all of the numbers suggest that they they put the pressure on they had a lot of the the ball they had a lot of the territory but again anyone who sort of watched the game Chloe mentioned it the the Philippines were quite comfortable for for quite a lot of it um happy to sort of have the game in front of them and while yeah New Zealand did create yeah 16 chances um it did feel like the Philippines yeah for for long periods were in control and yes they had a bit of luck as we just just mentioned but um you know, it's really one of those where on a different day, things can go slightly differently. Um, so if they play like that in, the, in their final game, I think uh, they'll have as good a chance as, as any. Are the Philippines then going going forward, Chloe, what did you make of them? Um, I think um, I'm, I'm, I've been quite impressed by the Philippines. I think um, they're a team that's come into this competition with, you know, very little expectation behind them. No one's expecting them to obviously progress um, past the, the, the group stages, but... And I think, you know, based on the stats that, you know, Mark and myself have talked about, I mean, you can see why, because the possession is just so low. It's in the sort of 20s and 30s. So you're expecting, you know, having so little of the ball, they're going to be creating fewer chances and they're also going to put themselves under uh, constant pressure of attack. Um, but they, like, like Mark said, I do feel that they are sort of adjusted to sort of being very comfortable off the ball and just sort of pouncing on uh, the very few opportunities that they do get. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a bit of an upset going forwards um, because, like, like you said, I think they've, they've got absolutely nothing to lose. So, yeah, and I think that's the case for a lot of the underdogs in the competition that they've uh, actually come out and, um, and defied expectations. So don't rule them out because, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're technically they're still in it to go, to go through. So, um, yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think they're going to do it, Mark? 
Uh, <laughs> I would, well, I, I completely agree with your point, Chloe. I think that they, they've got nothing to lose and there, there could well be a shock. But um, I'd probably say, if yeah, if New Zealand, as I mentioned before, perform how they did in both games, really, um, then I think it's it's definitely theirs to uh, to give up and then Switzerland probably go through as well. Well, Group A looks like this. Switzerland top with a draw and a win so far, four points. New Zealand and the Philippines Second and third with three points and Norway propping up the group with a point. So it really is very open. Next up in Group A for the final group game will be Norway against the Philippines and Switzerland against New Zealand. Well, the result in the New Zealand-Philippines game opened the door for Norway to recover from their bad start in Group A. Wow. Chloe, what's the, what's going on with this drama? You don't just drop Engin Blackstad and Graham Hansen from your starting eleven. Is there drama that doesn't exist there? What's going on? I think everyone was a bit shocked when because the, the news came out quite early in the day for us. Um, so before, but we couldn't really find a, a proper source for it. So we were thinking, oh, okay, is this just um, you know media drama? Do want to get a little bit of a hype and a buzz around what what's happening in the squad? But you know, when we did see the lineup eventually come out, I mean, Graham Hansen not starting just seems to be a bit of a no brainer. I mean. You know, we've seen what she can do with the Barcelona side. She was absolutely horrendous to play against in the, in the Champions League final. I mean, she was just on fire. So, you know, for their, for her not to be in the starting lineup just didn't make sense. Um, and then on top of that, also, we had a situation where Hegerberg then goes into the, the warm-up, does the warm-up, um, has a team photo. They're just about to kick off. And then she sort of runs into, into the tunnel. And there's no comms about what's happening or why or what's going on and and then we find out sort of a few minutes later that um she she's unwell that was the message that was initially sent and then about five or ten minutes later after that we're then told that the um the Norway doctor um has said that she's picked up this uh, this groin injury she's got bruising on her groin uh, which has sort of ruled her out for that game but we don't sort of know how serious that is or whether that's you know just a niggle or that whether they're just sort of you know being being quite cautious about the whole situation but what we did see, which was quite positive, I suppose, in the end, was that she was out for the team huddle um, post-match, um, sort of, you know, speaking to, to the squad um, after the game. So I'm hoping it's nothing too serious, especially when, when she's, um, you know, obviously not been a part of the international setup for, for quite some time, having taken herself out um, to, to exile between 2017 and, and 2022. So, and that yeah, that would be a massive loss if she was out for the competition because I think we're all still a little bit worried about Sam Kerr. So to have two legends potentially out for, for the tournament at these very initial stages is, is quite quite a worry yeah Chloe so we've established she wasn't fit enough to actually play then um do you think her teammates knew or would it have been quite hard to recalibrate knowing that one of your best players isn't isn't going to make it literally moments before kickoff yeah well I think um no one really knew I think it, it seemed to have happened in the last final run of the of the warm-up so obviously it is a lot for the you know the team to adjust to uh, I mean luckily her replacement coming on did an absolutely fantastic job and I think you know I think initially the first 15 or 20 minutes or so you did see a Norway side that looked a little bit shaken up they didn't look like they're they're fully confident selves and, and they should really do you know especially when you've got such a stellar squad you still got Guru Wright in there um but yeah not having Graham Hansen there on, on sitting there on the bench and you've got Hegerberg who sort of runs off into the tunnel and no one really knows why it just sort of seemed a, li- a little bit chaotic so I can understand why they were slightly unsettled but they did seem to come into the game a little bit more but obviously just just not enough really both sides not you know failing to, to score so a difficult one for, for both teams. Yeah Mark it certainly felt tentative um, in the first half were both sides settling into the game because in the second it did open up a little bit more for Norway. Yeah I think so I agree with, with Chloe that they needed uh, Norway especially needed a 20 minutes or so to to settle into the game and and recalibrate because of obviously the the sudden changes i 
if I was being a bit critical, I think I'd say that tournament football, international football, you have to adapt to these things. It's not too uncommon that, that this happens. We saw it already with, with Sam Kerr, as you mentioned, Chloe. But I, I felt like there was a lot of kind of exchanging of possession in that first half where it just kind of felt sloppy from from both sides, just sort of needless passes going astray. And it just felt like they both kind of needed to just get their foot on the ball and actually have a sustained period of, of possession but I thought that Switzerland actually had the better of the chances in the first half I thought they were working it really well down the right hand side I thought so was was playing really uh, nice balls and making off ball runs into the, the penalty area as well so it was it was quite tight quite contained but Switzerland I thought kind of edged it in the first half and then the fact that the game opened up in the second half a little bit more probably played into Norway's hands a little bit more and they had the better of the chances overall. But um, I thought Switzerland definitely matched them, especially in the first half. Yeah, Chloe, couldn't really get my head around this, the lack of urgency from Norway. Body language-wise, what were you really into it? They didn't look like a team who were worrying about their World Cup futures, the progression really hanging by a thread. And I've got to agree, I think they did look a little bit lost. Uh, and maybe that is because they sort of lost their their talisman, their, their leader very early on, and they were struggling to adjust initially. But, I mean, you sort of look at, you know, how they did fare up in terms of the sort of stats and shots on targets. I mean, it was a very evenly matched game. I mean, 49% of the possession was in Norway's favour. And um, yeah, so it was probably the most evenly matched game that we've seen so far. But I did think it was... Um, a little bland. I think out of all the games that we've had today, maybe the sort of the unspiciest one is, is this one because I think both teams just didn't seem like they were really going to produce much. So, um, yeah, it was a slightly more difficult game to, to watch because there just wasn't that, um, that spark that we've seen in some of the other World Cup games. Was there improvement, though, from the Norwegian defence in this game, Mark? They, they looked like they were making it difficult, but their back four was very narrow, particularly in the first half. Yeah, I'd say so. I think, yeah, as I say, Switzerland did work it down the, the right-hand side well and was trying to pull uh, Norway's defence out a little bit to try and make some gaps and have some good sort of off-ball running. To be honest, I think that Switzerland could and probably should have punished Norway a little bit more when Norway were out of shape. There were a few kind of moments in transition where Norway were defensively not set up all that well. I think it was said in commentary as well that Switzerland just weren't quite clinical enough in those key moments. I thought they got into some good situations but not necessarily converting them into to chances or or shots and I think that they, they let Norway off the hook at times especially as I say in the first half and probably the start of the second half so Norway improved a little bit but I still think if against a more clinical side who were willing to to punish them a little bit more then they might have found themselves 1-0 down and then the, the whole landscape of the, the game and the group uh, changes as a consequence. And uh, did you notice the constant cowbell ringing all the way through? Did that come through to you, Chloe and Mark? Because um, well, I'm assuming it's a Swiss thing, right? They they have the cowbells. I've been there, and they sell them everywhere. I we did. I don't think it came across too much in the TV. There was definitely like parts where there was some some unusual noises happening. But I think that's the best thing about the World Cup games is that the fans from different countries always seem to have a, a sort of tradition that comes through. I mean, I remember not too long ago. I can't remember which competition it was now, but the uh, the Netherlands fans used to have this incredible sort of like uh, it's like a chanting type thing. Or was it the Swedish fans? It was just like it was horrendous for the opposition because it was like this horrendous chart that sort of started off quite slowly and they would build and build and build. So I think um, that's one of the, my favorite things about the World Cups is sort of you know getting to know the fans, getting to know their traditions. But yeah, I mean, cowbells is one of the most one of the more unusual ones for sure. I was trying to work out if there was a kind of a pattern as to when the cowbell was actually being rung. 
I was going to see whether it was when you know two players were maybe having a bit of a tasty challenge against each other or a foul was given maybe to see if there was any beef between the two players. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it took me a while there, but yeah, nice. <laughs> um, that's very bad. Um, Vuvu Zaylis, <laughs> the one that I remember, was that 2010 South Africa? The whole yeah, tournament. Yeah, yeah. So the cowbell was was absolutely acceptable compared to a Vuvu Zaylis uh, from the Men's World Cup. Well, in the hours after the game, Ada Hedeberg tweeted that she felt discomfort in the sprints during the warm-ups, which is why she didn't start. On top of that, Caroline Graham Hansen strongly hinted that there are behind-the-scenes tensions in the national team, saying, I really feel that I have been stepped on for a whole year. All is clearly not well below the surface in the Norwegian camp. So next up in Group A, Norway play the Philippines and Switzerland against New Zealand. It is open. The Philippines really do have a chance and the games for the final round for all groups will all be kicking off at the same time and that's the case on Sunday morning at 8am. Well, in the hours after the game, Ada Hedeberg tweeted that she felt discomfort in the sprints during the warm-ups, which is why she didn't start. On top of that, Caroline Graham Hansen strongly hinted that there are behind-the-scenes tensions in the national team, saying... I really feel that I have been stepped on for a whole year. All is clearly not well below the surface in the Norwegian camp. Today, the football started with the last two teams to make their bow in the competition playing. Colombia and the Republic of Korea. We'll talk about that game and what to look forward to tomorrow next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. The Athletics' Harriet Drudge was at Columbia against the Republic of Korea and has sent us this report from the Sydney Football Stadium in Sydney. Gadigal. Hello from Sydney Football Stadium, where Colombia have beaten South Korea 2-0. First half goals from Catalina Uzme and Linda Caicedo securing the points for Colombia. It's possibly the rowdiest atmosphere I've experienced at a ground so far. Both sets of fans bringing the noise, colour and vibes on a beautiful winter afternoon in Sydney. Much of the talk pre-match centred on Real Madrid's Linda Caicedo, who's featured in our Women's World Cup scouting guide, The Radar. The 18-year-old, playing in her third World Cup tournament in 12 months after representing Colombia in the Under-20 World Cup last August, then the Under-17 World Cup in October, was involved throughout, and every time she touched the ball, the crowd were on their feet. Usme's penalty gave Colombia the lead after half an hour, and Caicedo scored their second just before half-time, the first goal from outside the penalty area at this year's tournament. The South Korea goalkeeper will be disappointed she couldn't keep it out, though. She got both hands to it, but the ball dropped in over her head. It's the first real goalkeeping faux pas we've seen. Colombia were really exciting to watch. Strong in their tackles, creative in their attacking, and always looking to be positive. 
South Korea, however, will need to improve in their decisiveness and quality of their final balls if they're going to get anything from the next two matches against Morocco and Germany. They only really tested Catalina Perez once, who got down brilliantly to deny Lee Goomin just before half-time. One player who could help South Korea, though, is Casey Fair. The 16-year-old, who's based in the US, her dad's American and her mum is Korean, came on as a second-half substitute, becoming the Women's World Cup's youngest ever player. You can read all about her now on The Athletic. So finished 2-0. Uh, Chloe, the main story about Colombia in the UK and Ireland anyway, was about the warm-up game against the Republic of Ireland, called off after 20 minutes due to that Colombian physicality. Uh, as Harriet was saying, does it look like we saw a different Colombia? I think we saw a Colombia that absolutely felt they could progress in this competition. I mean, this was a, an incredibly spicy game. It was incredibly exciting to watch. Um, yeah, and obviously it's produced an absolutely killer result. I mean, you've got to talk about Casido. I mean, her history, where she's come from. She had ovarian cancer, age just 15 years old, made her professional debut at 14 years old. And the second goal that she scored, I mean... Not the best of goals in the sense that it was seemed to be sort of a, the goalkeeper flapping at it. But it was the first goal of the tournament that was scored from outside the area. Um, but it was a come on, it, Chloe. I know you're keeper's union, but that was a terrible error. Come on. It <laughs> wasn't great. Uh, I couldn't work out whether she was trying to sort of parry it over the bar or whether she was trying to punch it away. And I, don't, I think then she sort of got into her own head about it. But obviously she's not... She's, it's fallen horribly. She's taken so much speed off the ball that it's obviously bounced over her head and got into the goal. And I just, I felt for her because you could see the kind of like the, the desperation and the, the heartbreak on her face when it bounced in. I've always got to have some sympathy for goalkeepers because you've just got to have the entire game. You've got to be on point. And, um, you know, when you do make an effort, it's so obvious and it's so fatal. So, um, yeah, thoughts and prayers to the, uh, the, the Korean goalkeeper because she'll be thinking about that for a long time. Uh, let's talk some more, Mark, about Linda Caicedo uh, scoring the second. I mean, the initial dribble, OK, don't want to take away too much from the goal, talking about the keeper error, but the initial dribble was pretty mesmerising. Yeah, and it's something that we've we've seen in her short career already in terms of her her, her profile of, of play. And she's actually someone that we, we did profile in in the radar, which is on the Athletic website. Still, the, I still flick through it, you know, to, to look at some of the, the players after they've had a good game. Uh, people should really check it out. It's 50 players that we've profiled uh, ahead of the tournament, some breakout stars, some well-established players. And uh, we include Caicedo in that. And she's She's someone who we we know that she has a, a real threat when when dribbling. She's got a, a great highlights reel already um, with her dribbling and her shots from distance as well. It's actually known that she's she's got a good highlights reel with with that for for club and country. And we we saw that in the the goal. And I agree, a little bit lucky uh, the keeper won't want to look at, look back at that one. But she's she's known for shots from distance. I think she had another one in the second half with a, a shot from distance as well, which I think was on target. But um, yeah, just echoing everything that, that Chloe said, that she's she's only 18 years old, but I think she's pretty experienced internationally. I think she might have around 15 senior international appearances already. So despite being a teenager, she's certainly got um, a lot of experience. And now, obviously, at a great club in, in Real Madrid, which is going to provide her with the, the platform to to perform and, and give her a really good um, you know stage to, to become. I, I think, I don't think it's sort of unfair to say that she could genuinely become one of the best players in the world for for the next decade I think she's really that exciting so Group H looks like this Germany are top with three points after their thrashing of Morocco Colombia also with three in second and the Republic of Korea in third Morocco in fourth both yet to pick up a point next up in Group H Republic of Korea against Morocco and Germany against Colombia both of these games are on Sunday 
The Lionesses are training ahead of their next game against Denmark this Friday. Jacob Whitehead is with them throughout and here is his latest update. Good afternoon, this is Jacob Whitehead reporting from England camp. We're in Gosford today, which is further up the central coast and it is absolutely beautiful here at this stadium. Uh, it's, it's just called the Central Coast Stadium and it's home to the Central Coast Mariners, which, if you remember, was where Usain Bolt actually played five games for a few years ago. It's interesting here as well because this is a community-based event. There's about two, 3,000 fans who've come along and the cheering any time an England player goes near the corner of the pitch is crazy. Apparently they've got a day off school, so they're missing uh, double maths to uh, come watch the England team train. Beforehand, we had Serena Wiegmann joining the uh, keepy-uppies and actually knocking Neve Charles out of circle, which I imagine must be a bit embarrassing when, you, when your boss goes and does that to you. It's mostly small-sided possession games which are going on here at training. It's all pretty relaxed. I mean, there's nothing tactically, understandably, in front of kind of such a large crowd. Many fitness, lots of ball-keeping, but every time they go over to the corner where lots of fans are, fans are giving them this sort of Viking clap, uh, which the players are joining in, which you remember from Iceland at the men's Euros, must be seven years ago now. How time's flown there. So today was much more of a casual session. It was all about kind of showing off to the community, a bit of a bit of shooting practice, some keepy uppies, all of that sort of lot. Tomorrow's gonna to be the main tactical session of the week ahead of the Denmark game where we work on shape, Vegan will choose her team, etc. etc. During that time I'm actually gonna be in Terrigal where they're based to have a look around the training centre and I'll have an update on what I find there tomorrow. See you then. So uh, tomorrow then in Group C, Japan take on Costa Rica. Early start for that one, 6am. And then at 8.30, Spain plays Zambia. And the lunchtime kickoff, 1 o'clock, Canada against the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Mark, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? I'm looking forward to, yeah, Republic of Ireland against Canada, just as you mentioned there. I think probably more in hope than expectation from an Ireland perspective that there there could be a shock there. We know that you know Canada's strength is... A little bit better than uh, than Ireland's, but I thought Ireland contained Australia for long periods in the first game. They almost got an equaliser at the end, so I think if they can get a similar performance as they they did against Australia, then then maybe a different outcome could uh, could either get a, a draw or a, a win there. So Ireland, Canada for me. What about you, Chloe? Is that the big one for you tomorrow? Absolutely, but I also I'm, I've been really excited by watching Spain play. I really had sort of lower expectations of them coming into the competition off the back of all the stuff that had happened with their manager and all the kind of discontent. But you know, when they played Costa Rica, it just looked they just looked so empowered. They looked fiery. They looked passionate. It was sort of very much that kind of classic tick attack of football. It was just a very spicy game. So for me, I'm very interested because I think um, Spain definitely looked like one of the favourites now, just based on these uh, these first games now that everyone's played. So yeah, always excited to watch them play. They've just got so many incredible names on that squad. It's hard not to. Absolutely. And really looking forward to how the Republic of Ireland at fair against Canada for sure. Well, thanks very much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Mark Kerry, Chloe Morgan, Harriet Drudge and Jacob Whitehead. I'm Michelle Owen and we will see you tomorrow. The Athletic.